0: Uh, Do you guys smell that, like, smell of paint or something? Do you guys smell that still, or is it gone? Some do, some don't. (laughs) What you're smelling is actually, we just got the, our baptistry, our baptismal tub. Um, We just got that redone, and they finally finished this week, so I think with just a few more things that need to be done, and it'll be ready for us to open it up for baptism and uh, so we 're excited about that this earlier this year we we decided that we would set up baptismal dates throughout the year, so once a quarter, we will have a day of baptism and The idea behind that is that there are people who come to church on a weekly basis that may be wanting to make that decision, but perhaps the opportunity seems maybe it 's too difficult or they don 't know the right steps to take forward and and so at the very least in the new year, if not before that we 're going to set up dates so that when people come, they have the opportunity. And we'll have baptismal classes as well and Bible studies that people can go through. But we just want to make sure that you're praying about that um, because we know that, you know, we have built it, but we know that God will fill it not only with water but with Holy Spirit. And so we're thankful for that. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit in a special way now. As we get ready to continue this series on how to fight like Christians. It's our prayer that you would take all of our preconceived ideas, that you would even take the way we have understood scriptures, and that you would give us a newness of mind, that you would transform us and shape us, so that we would be better bearers of your image in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, back in August, um, Kara and I had gone grocery shopping. Uh, actually maybe we just want to buy one or two things from the grocery store because it was late it was about 10 o'clock at night so we weren't doing grocery shopping but we had to go get something i can't remember what we came home we parked our cars where we normally park it and we park on the street because where we live that's the only place for us to park and within a minute of us settling down inside the house we heard this loud crash now i thought that it was probably a car hitting another car because where we live the intersection one side has a A stop sign and the other side doesn't and whenever that happens people just don't seem to know how to drive and people are always honking people are almost always almost crashing often and so I thought oh man someone crashed finally so I try to like look out the window just to see what happened but there were no cars and so I thought to myself that's weird like we heard something and so you know I, I went outside to look and all there was a loud crash It wasn't a car. It was this really large tree branch that fell on our cars. So if you've walked by my car, you'll notice there is a couple of places um, by the gas tank on the uh, on the trunk of the car, right on the driver's side. You know, right there where, like, I would have literally one minute earlier if I had come out, it probably would have killed me. It was heavy. I couldn't get the branch out of the road by myself, so I called. 911, they called city services, whatever, 11 o'clock at night, they're out there with one of those, um, why can't I remember the name of the, chainsaw, yeah, yeah, (laughs) they're out there with the chainsaw at 11 o'clock at night in a residential area just around the corner here, cutting that tree limb that fell off, getting rid of it so that it wouldn't be a safety hazard. So in the moment, I was upset, I was angry, I said, you know, like that car has just been bad luck accident after accident, I always remind myself, it's okay, it's just a car, things on this earth will rust and will be destroyed, I'm looking for my heavenly treasure, right? Like, all the things we as Christians say to, you know, get past things. And so that night, I was really upset, but I said, okay, fine, like, the good news is I didn't get killed, right? So we called, we made a claim, all that. The next morning the city person that's responsible for taking care of these trees or making sure that the trees are okay, he came out and he said, "Yeah, we're going to come out and, and we're, we have to cut more of this tree because it's still going to, you know, it, there's still the danger that it's going to fall on other cars." And so I said, "Okay, well, since this is your responsibility, what like, I didn't say it like that, right? I said, "Well, what are my next steps?" you know, trying to be nice. He says, "I would file a claim with the city." Okay, great. Um, our deductible is not very high, so if we did it on, with our insurance, it would be fine. Um, but we're to the wise, make sure you have rental car insurance on your policy. Totally forgot to do that. Anyway, so I. I I used all the legal language I could muster up. I filled out the claim report. I attached pictures. I attached a quote from the car. I mean, everything looked super professional. I went and I submitted it. That was back early September. And then just yesterday, I finally got a letter, and I finally got a response. And I said, okay, great, I'm going to be able to move forward. I opened up the letter, and it says, claim denied. And, like, I thought to myself for a moment, I said, how is that possible? Like, I did nothing wrong. My car was simply parked where it was supposed to be parked. But they said, we will not pay for your repairs. Now, they didn't say that, but it just says claim denied. It had, like, two sentences. It didn't explain why. It doesn't say anything. And at the bottom, it says, you know, signed by uh, the city council. So I was furious. Like, last week, Trisha said to the church that, you know, she's never seen me angry, and I'm not superstitious, all right, but I feel like she jinxed me because I was like, and Carol and was at work, but I was just like, I didn't text her because I didn't want to, you know, bother her work day, but I was just Angry. I was like, "How could like injustice? Right? There was an injustice, and it was like 4:45 by the time I got it. So like, city closes probably at 4:30 or 5. So I didn't know what to do, right? And so I'm just like, okay, calm down. Like, you're gonna get this figured out. Worst case scenario, you're gonna pay $250. But I was still angry. I was like, no, you know. So I was like, okay, let me go to the. You know, I'm gonna go for a run. I'm gonna go to the gym and just get on the treadmill. I'm gonna kind of work my my. Uh, is it the is it dopamine or? that gets released into, you know, that happiness in you. I'm going to get that. It's going to be fine. I can't go into Sabbath being really upset. And as I'm on that treadmill, I'm thinking to myself, "You know, this is an election year. I am going to create a website and I am going to go against every not not run, but like try to vote the current city council out cuz I'm going to get even with them." You know, that's what we this is a true story. I'm still a little upset. <laughs> But I went through all the possible ways that I could get back at those city council members, especially because... They are up for re-election, and I thought, I am going to, you know, I know we don't talk about politics, but I am going to do everything I can to get those people out. I went through the list of things that I could do, you know, last on the list, my last resort. We we all know Bob. He's one of our church members, for those of you that's a guest, and he's a lawyer that actually litigates cases in court. Like, he loves that. He lives off of that. I haven't called him yet because I don't want to take advantage of him. But, you know, I'm like, I'm going to get even. It's an injustice. That's what we do, though, with everything in our lives, isn't it? We feel like if someone does something wrong to us, we have to respond in a similar fashion. So if someone betrays us, does something wrong, hurts us, or says something hurtful to us, our natural reaction is for us to immediately, right? Notice I say immediately, immediately get back at them, and not even with the same force, but with a stronger force so that we can exact vengeance because we do it in the name of what? Justice. But that, my friends, is what we call the myth of redemptive violence. The myth of redemptive violence tells us that if someone wrongs us, we have the right to wrong them back. If someone hurts us, we get to hurt them back. If someone drops a bomb on us, we get to drop an even bigger bomb on them. And there is this myth that violence done in response to someone else's violence will finally settle the situation But if we've learned anything in our personal lives, right, in our government, in our countries, between Republicans and Democrats, what we've realized is that when we get back at someone, it never ends the argument. It only makes the argument go on and on and on. You know, what's interesting about this is this is built into the narratives of everything we see around us. If you've ever seen a movie... That's like an action thriller. You often will have a bad guy and a good guy. I don't mean that theologically, all right, so just in the movie. The bad guy will do something to the good guy bad, and then the good guy will do something bad back to the bad guy, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, until ultimately the good guy wins. That's not real life. Now I'm about to date myself, and that's okay, but when we were growing up, it's e- it was even in the cartoons that we watched as children Remember Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny? How about the Roadrunner and is it Wiley e. Coyote? How about Tom and Jerry? Like I've been looking at memes that pop up on my Instagram, and it's like how terrible and how much they taught us how violence was an acceptable way to get back and even at someone else from the time that we were kids. It's a part of our collective psyche. So we say an eye for an eye. We say, a t- you know, a tooth for a tooth or a, Whatever it is, right? Like, if you do this to me, I am going to get back at you, and it's going to be even worse. But here we come to the words of Jesus, right? And and Jesus always pierces to the depths of our soul. You know, and what we find is that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You see, the lie of redemptive violence tells us we don't need to seek peace. We need to seek vengeance and revenge so that we can finally put an end to this conflict. But it never ends. You know, this morning, if I were to ask you, and, and I'm not really asking you to respond, but if I were to ask you this morning, do you want to be a child of God? Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you claim that you are a Christian that loves Jesus and so then this, so the answer to that question would then have a second follow-up question would be like well if that's true then are you a peacemaker or are you a hellraiser because those are very real realities in our lives And if you're a guest here and and you're you're coming in somewhere in the middle of our sermon series, our website has the first couple of sermons on how to deal with your emotions and how not to kill your enemies. And so we're deep in a sermon series on what Jesus calls us to be as Christians and how we are to love and treat each other. And so this morning's message is how to get revenge. And most of you who have been in church long enough are already like, I know what verse he's going to use. But before we get to any of those verses, we have to understand that there are these these realities that we live into, like the myth of redemptive violence that promises that if we're just better at getting back at someone, then we will win. But the way of Jesus, the way God created us to be followers of Jesus, is that we must always seek the path of peace. Because if you are a child of God, you are to be a peacemaker. And here it is, the lie of redemptive violence is that an act of violence can actually have redemptive powers. And we know that's just not true. The only redemptive power in our world is that Jesus lays his life down for us It not only redeems us, but then it forces us to live in such a way that models the way of Jesus. And after all, two wrongs don't make a right. Just because someone has done something to you, you are not then allowed to let go of your moral compass and get back at them because you need to feel vengeance. So there's this, you know, we know the story of Nelson Mandela who, um, he was in prison, right? imprisoned for 27 years in, at Robben Island in South Africa, 27 years. He was finally released. And when he comes out, he doesn't say, okay, because remember South, Af- South Africa, apartheid, a small group of people had most of the power and subjected and oppressed the, the black people. He doesn't come out and say, I'm going to get back at you now, and I'm going to show you together with my people how, to, how, to, how it feels to be oppressed, how it feels to be treated as someone who's on the margins. He doesn't say that. The reason that Nelson Mandela is a powerful force is because instead of doing that, he, sa- he begins to talk about the collective us. He seeks reconciliation and forgiveness. Do you think that was easy for him after being in prison for 27 years? For being against the political order of things? No, like if, if you're coming out of 27 years, you're going to be like me with the Orange City Council, which I, I'm obviously not going to try to vote them out, right? That's too much extra work. But like... But like, you know, we're like, no, this is an injustice. It was an injustice. But he comes out and he begins to talk about we. He talks about us. He talks about all of South Africa as one people united seeking for forgiveness and reconciliation. And I guarantee you that that was not easy for him, especially when his own people did not understand why he, of all people, would want to extend forgiveness, especially when he had been robbed of 27 years of his life. You know, for us as Christians, we have to find a better way to deal with conflict. We have to find a way beyond just getting even with someone, but a way that we find in Scripture. And the story that we have in Scripture about how to get revenge on others is the story of the cross. Jesus goes to his death and chooses to be executed Rather than retaliate against the Roman Empire. Here's what's interesting about that story. When Jesus is arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, right, what, is, what does Peter do? He whips out his sword, which is a whole nother conversation for another day. Like, why, was Peter, why did Peter have a sword on him, right? If Jesus was on the way of Jesus, uh, the way of Jesus was about peace. But Jesus stops him and he says, My kingdom. The way we are going to choose to live our lives, he wouldn't call Christians, but as followers of God, is not the way that our current kingdoms are functioning with force and power. Jesus says, my kingdom is not going to be modeled after the ones of this world. That's that's where that phrase says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's saying we don't live by the rules that we see as normal in the world around us. We live for a better way. And so the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, and the better way to live when we're looking for vengeance is to understand that sometimes not getting even and not seeking revenge is going to feel like death to you. You see, the problem with, um, with the way we view the world is we think, but if I don't say anything back to them, then they're going to think they won. Yeah? See, to, be, to follow the way of Jesus sometimes it's going to appear like you lose the argument. When you follow the way of Jesus, sometimes it's going to look like you lose. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're taken advantage of. Sometimes people will turn their back on you. You know, just because someone does something against you doesn't mean we have the right to get back at them. And even when you don't get back at them and it feels like a death, Remember that the central story of your faith is that after death, there is resurrection. And so it may hurt, and it may be painful, but to follow the way of Jesus will make you stronger, will make you more full in the image of God, and though it may hurt, the more you do it, the stronger and better you will get at it. Because after death, there is always resurrection. And so I want to look at another passage in Scripture. Another one of those ways where it feels like it looks like we're losing. It's a passage we know well in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, You have heard it said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the Old Testament, that was the way things worked. Read Leviticus. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone does something to you, you can do it back to them. That's how it was. But Jesus changes that. And he says, I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. So he's basically saying you don't have the right to get back at them anymore. And he says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go also a second mile. Like this is non-violence response. All right, so I'm going to break this down as fast as I can. I know I went over this like eight years ago in one of my first few months here as a pastor. But what Jesus was saying, he was actually not just telling them to feel like they're being taken advantage of. This was their active way of like revolt and insurrection against the system. So when he says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other, he wasn't saying, let them beat you up. But what would happen is if someone hits you on the right cheek, if a Roman, if a Roman uh, citizen was looking at a Jewish person, they would see them as inferior. So they would only ever hit them with the back of their hand. So if you get hit on the, right, on the right cheek, he says, turn to them the other, because then they're forced to hit you with your open hand, which would probably be even worse. But you would only ever hit an equal with an open fist, with an open palm. So you see, Jesus isn't telling us, oh, just get beat up. He's saying, like, no, like, force them to treat you as an equal. You're going to get hit again, but at least you have nonviolently let them know that we are equals. When he says, if someone sues you for your coat, give them your cloak or what goes under your coat as well. If someone was showing any kind of nakedness in the first century and you saw them, you would be the one who was shamed. So Jesus is like, well, if they're going to take your coat, give them your shirt as well. Again, it was a nonviolent way of them saying, like, if you're going to dehumanize me like this, then I am going to make the shame go on you, not on me. And then, the lastly, it says, if someone forces you to go a mile, go. Uh, if someone forces you to go one mile carrying their pack, go also a second mile. In the first century, the Romans. Uh, soldiers were allowed to ask Jewish people to carry their packs with all their gear for one mile. Anything beyond a mile was seen as inhumane. And so there was very strict rules for Roman soldiers that they weren't allowed to let someone go more than a mile. So then Jesus says, okay, well, if they force you to go a mile, go a second mile. Now can you imagine this, right? A soldier in the Roman Empire begging a Jew to stop and take the pack off of his back. You see, the way of Jesus doesn't mean that we we don't respond to violence. It means we do so in a nonviolent way because the myth and the lie of redemptive violence is that violence will not solve the problem. We have to find a different way, and Jesus shows us here. 1 Peter 3 tells us this, Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. On the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. Listen to what Peter is saying, right? Same guy who's trying to cut off someone's ear. He later would understand that you do not repay evil with evil. Now, for those of you who are here who thought you were going to get a Christian perspective on how to get revenge that sticks, like, I hope you're beginning to understand that the way of Jesus is not a way of vengeance and revenge, but it is a way of finding a different way forward. And this is what I love about this text here. He says it says, uh, "Repay with a blessing for it, for it is for this that you were called." People be talking about, what is my why in life, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And like here in, in the book of Peter, he's like, "You were called to be a blessing to others. Like this is language that goes back to Abraham in Genesis. Remember when God calls Abraham, he says, I am going to make your family a blessing to all nations. Later, on and on, thousands of years later, we, be, we still see the same message that God is calling you to be a blessing in all circumstances, especially if someone repays you with evil. You are not to do the same in kind, but rather you are to learn to be a blessing to them because you were called to that kind of life. I think I have one more passage. So now in Romans 12, we get to this. Pa- I know there's a lot of Bible verses, but you'll want to underline some of these in your Bible if you do that. But here's the, in Romans chapter 12. If you remember the beginning of Romans chapter 12, Paul is calling us to be transformed, to be renewed, to not be the way the world functions, but to be the way of Jesus. So this is Romans 12. Do not give into the way of the world and how they get even and how, you know, no, you're to be You're to be uh, children of God. And then he begins to show us how. And look at what he says here. He says, bless those who persecute you. Was Paul persecuted? Yeah, he was imprisoned. He was beaten. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. We're going to get to the part where it talks about revenge. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. You see, for Christians, we don't get to get revenge. I don't know how else to say this, and it's frustrating because we sometimes, especially when we feel an injustice, we want to get even, but the Scripture is filled with passage after passage that we are to be a blessing and not a curse, that we are not to repay evil for evil, that we are to make sure that our actions are seen as noble in the sight of everyone. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. By the way, it always depends on you. You always have the ability to change your behaviors. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. So how do you get revenge? You leave it in the hands of God. And you know what the hardest part about leaving things in the hands of God, especially in this circumstance He's forgiven you for your sins. He may very well forgive the person that hurt you. That's what's so painful about following the way of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that if someone hurt you, that it's okay. I mean, you know, that's our, that's our human perspective saying like, well, if I don't get even, then it's like telling them that it's okay. No, that's not. You're not telling them it's Okay. We're simply allowing God to do the work of God in their lives. Because for us to be followers of Jesus, we want God to do his work in our lives. And so this is is a quote from the Old Testament. It's repeated several times in Scripture. It says, vengeance is the Lord's he will repay. And maybe God will repay them. But it's not up to us to know when that happens or how that happens. It's only for us to be able to bless them and say, okay, I'm only going to ever treat you as a blessing, and I am not going to get back at you, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave it in the Lord's hands. Because what that does is that also builds up your faith. It builds up your character. It builds up your relationship with God because you are no longer worried about what's going to happen to that person in a bad way, but you're only going to be worried about how you were called From Genesis through the book of Revelation, you were called to be the blessing that the world needs. And as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we are called to be a blessing to this world as well. Not just to the greater world, but to the city of Orange. We're called to be a blessing to each other, which I know sometimes is hard. We are called to be a group and a movement of people who demonstrate and show the love of Christ in everything and in all that we do. And so as much as I want to get back at the city of Orange, I'm still going to do the due process of trying to make sure they pay. But I'm not going to do that with a, with a hatred towards them, but with a desire to say, well, if maybe there's something I missed, that I, it, maybe it was just clerical. But we are to seek the good of all. We are to seek the welfare of the city. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to extend forgiveness. We are to ask for forgiveness. See, the only way to get revenge is really to just be a blessing. And listen to what Paul says, same, ver- same passage. He says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. <laughs> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Like, that is your Christian formula to get in revenge, is be so good to them. (laughs) Give them everything you need. And, like, like, this is the paradoxical upside-downness of the kingdom of God, and yet, like, it says, like, no, yeah, do it. The only way you overcome evil is not with worse evil, but the only way to overcome evil is with good. And I know some of you are saying like, oh, that person's never going to, they don't care if I'm going to be kind. Well, it doesn't matter how they respond. All that matters is that you are called to be good and a blessing to others. This is especially poignant right now in our country with the divisiveness that is going on and the partisanship. Like this is how we as Christians can begin to take a step forward and say there's got to be a third way. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way that is more redeeming and loving and kind. You can disagree with each other, but we have to find a way to do so in a Christian way. Because there are Christian brothers and sisters on both sides of the aisle. There are Democrats who are Christian, and there are Republicans who are Christian. Like there are Seventh-day Adventists who fall in both camps and other camps, right? We are all one family. Before we are anything political, we are a family family. And children of God. And we're allowed to disagree, but we can never substitute our politics or our country for being the family of God. Because we are citizens of heaven. We are just passing through here. This is temporary, but what is eternal is that you are a part of the family of God. And if we began every single conversation, every time we disagree with someone with the understanding that we are family and God has called us to good... I have no doubt that the world would be a different place. And maybe we can't change the world, but we can change this this church here in the city of Orange. If we saw each other first and foremost as brothers and sisters, as family of God. I imagine having God there and you're like arguing. Would you argue in front of God? <laughs> no, like he can smite you. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, we get to show the world. We get to be image bearers. As Seventh-day Adventists, we began as a movement to show the love of Christ. How much better can we show the love of Christ than if we show it with each other and if we show it with others, especially those who disagree? Like, like we were called to this. You were called to repay evil with good. You were called to be a blessing when people persecute you and curse you. You have inside you, because of God, the power to be his image in a world that desperately needs it. Amen.